9-6. And we'll be reading a whole psalm. And there'll be a second reading after this as well. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings he will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. For their hands will, be, will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honour him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The second reading is in Ephesians chapter 6. So that's on page 1178. And we'll be reading from the letter of Paul um, to the Ephesians. And we will start from verse 10 and end at the um, first sentence of verse 18. So that's page 1178. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flames, flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Well, thanks for reading that, KJ. <clears throat> uh, my name's Caden. If we haven't met, uh, it's really good to see you this morning. As we begin, uh, why don't I pray for us? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, please show us more of your goodness. Help us to see that you are our protection in this life for the life to come. 
Help us to look to you as our deliverer and not to ourselves or any other thing that we might think of. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Uh, Well, we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning looking at that psalm, Psalm 91. And it's a great psalm. It's full of comfort and empowers us as Christians to trust in God as our protection. But it's also a dangerous psalm. As I've been preparing this week, uh, my prayer for us has been that we might see God as our protection. That we would cling to him both in good times and in, uh, in bad times. When life is going along smoothly and when we're barely keeping afloat. That we would keep on turning to God and seeing him as our protection. Uh, but it is also a dangerous psalm. And there's two dangers that I see with it. Two ways of reading it that would be wrong and would stop us seeing God's purposes clearly. The first danger that is that we might read it too plainly. We'll work our way through the psalm, but for now have a look down at verse 11. Have your Bibles out. It says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. We might be tempted to read this and apply it directly to ourselves. We'd be walking around with no cares, knowing that God will protect us, and that we're not even going to kick our little toe on the corner of a cupboard. Uh, And the danger, aside from uh, probably ending up hurt, is that we'd be using God as our lucky charm. Just like Satan tempted Jesus a few weeks ago, if you were here as we began our series in Luke, the danger is rather than trusting God, We try to claim his power for ourselves. That we put God in submission to us. Uh, But there's also a second danger. And that's if you've been a Christian for more than uh, a few weeks, you might feel this tension between what we read and what your experience has been. You'll feel God hasn't protected you as you'd like. Or as you'd expect on the first reading of the psalm. And so you'll either think God isn't powerful as the psalm seems to claim he is, or worse, perhaps, that he is powerful, but he's not willing to protect his people. So I want us this morning to be convinced of God's goodness for us, that God is powerful and loving, and ultimately I want us to cling to God as our protection. And so as we get into it, uh, we'll look at it in three sections Firstly, who God is. Secondly, what God does. And then lastly, what God promises. Uh, So have your Bibles out at Psalm 91 as we think about who God is. Uh, Firstly, the psalmist introduces us to this God. It shows us who this God is that we can take protection in. Have a look with me, verse 1 to 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I don't know if you noticed as we read it there, but there's four different names in there for God. And they all communicate something of God's protection. Firstly, the Most High shows us God's position of authority and power. It reminds us that he is strong, just as a shelter needs to be, to protect us from the external elements, from the storms of life, 
from the despair at our continual sin, from the external temptations to abandon our faith. God is more than strong enough to shelter us. Secondly, Almighty is a name that's sometimes used in relation to God's power, but especially in the book of Job, it speaks of God's justice. Like Job, we see that Almighty is the one in whom we can take shelter against injustice. We can rest in his mountainous shadow from the heat of unjust oppression, the unfairness of accusations against us, both those accusations that come from people around us, those that say we're bad people for following the way God wants us to live, but also that internal voice, the voice that accuses us, that tells us we're not good enough for God, that we keep messing up, that God won't forgive that sin again. But we've been joined to God. We abide in him just as Christ abides in us. The third name there, Lord, when it's written in the Old Testament in all capitals like it is here, that's the name Yahweh, the name God used to reveal himself to Moses. It means I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. It shows us God's eternal nature, his unchangingness. And it also shows us that he's a God who reveals himself. He's not a a distant deity, not just a cold, hard stone fortress that you might retreat to in times of need. No, he's a personal God who speaks to his people. He is, as the psalmist says, my refuge and my fortress. And then lastly, my God. The psalmist again shows us he is not just a God, not the God, but he is personal. He is my God, a personal protection, a strong and tender God who dwells with his people, a God who's dependable, a God in whom we can trust. It's a small snapshot of who God is, the psalmist wants us to know this God, wants us to know his God as our God. He wants his refuge to be our refuge. And so in our second section from verse 3 to 13, the psalmist directs us to what God does. But it's important to note here that God's action is intimately related to his being. God's doing is completely in agreement with God's being. Unlike us, he never acts out of character. He always acts in line with who he is. He always does what he says he will. And we know that his actions are good because we know that he is good. So in the first section, we saw that he is a God. Uh, he, we saw who God is. He is a refuge. He is a fortress. He is the one we can take shelter in. But in this section, we see God acting, God doing. Have a look with me. There's some great imagery in there, but there's also maybe some unfamiliar language. So we'll walk through it together, and I'll try and help us along the way. Verse 3, God's action is delivery. Have a look with me. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. What's the snare of a fowler? I assume not too many of you have a snare of a fowler at home. 
Uh, it's a type of bird trap. A snare is a type of a wire trap. A fowler is a person who catches birds. But then notice verse 4. It says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Pinions, uh, if you're not aware, like the, the fingers of a bird, or uh, your translation might say the feathers, the outer parts of the wings. Under his wings you will find refuge. See how the psalmist pictures us. He doesn't say it explicitly, but you pick it up. We're like little birds. And you can think of yourself as maybe a little duckling, a cute, fluffy, but pretty helpless. And we're in danger of being caught in traps made especially for us. But God is pictured protecting and rescuing you. Just like a mother duck tucks all her ducklings in in the face of danger, the harsh sun or strong winds or the threat of a lurking predator. I don't know if you've ever seen an upset bird, either the mum or the dad, they're both quite fierce. Like the mother duck, uh, mother hen facing up against a snake. She opens up her wings to make herself big. She's all claws and sharp beak. Or perhaps you've been unfortunately swooped by a magpie protecting his eggs or his young chicks. There's something very determined about their protection of their young. And it's certainly not passive, is it? No, God is active in his care for his fragile little ducklings. And it's because of God's action of protection, the psalmist can say in verse 5, you will not fear. You're safe and secure under the wings of God. But then he goes, goes on to build up a picture that might make us quite fearful. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. I wasn't fearing before, but now maybe I start to wonder if I should be. There's night terrors, flying arrows, pestilence, another word for plague. Imagine COVID creeping around in the darkness at night. A thousand fall at your side. This is a picture of absolute desolation. It's like an end-of-the-world movie. But then he encourages us. But it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. You won't be destroyed. Unlike so many others, unlike the wicked, who you will see repaid for their evil, you won't fall. But how can he claim that? It feels a bit contradictory with our experience, doesn't it? We receive about the same hardship as those around us who don't follow God. But it comes back to your action, verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. See, it is your action, but it's far more than just your action. It's the object of your action. Let me read verse 9 and 10 together. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. If you've made the Lord your dwelling place, 
Where is your tent? That's with God, right? If the Lord, the Most High, is your refuge, how can evil approach? How can plague and devastation come near you, near to God? How can it be for you who hide under the wings of not just a strong bird, but the powerful, almighty, most high? How can evil befall you? The psalmist tells us even angels are acting on our behalf to guard us. This is not some personal, kindly little helper looking over your shoulder, making sure that you're happy. This speaks of God's fearsome, ministering spirits. The usual response when people in the Bible meet angels is to fall down as though dead. And these, the psalmist says, are on our side, wanting us to be preserved for God's sake. But as we saw at the beginning, you shouldn't go putting yourself over God, forcing him to show, uh, to show that he's looking after us. Don't go jumping the, the fence at the zoo into the lion enclosure or the snake pit. Don't try walking around on top of them. So what does it all mean then? We've got this tension that the psalmist has raised. We're told we'll be safe, and yet we experience fear. We experience pain and suffering, plague and hardship, persecution and sadness. Well, I want to take us to the last section of our psalm, and from there to Jesus. Because Satan was right to see that the psalm applies to Jesus, he just applied it wrongly. And it's here in verse 14 that we see God speaking personally. It's here that we see God's promises, promises that were written down hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. I'll read verse 14 to 16, and then we'll get into some of the details. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, I think the psalm is applicable to each one of us who trusts in Jesus. But as with the whole of the Old Testament and so with the psalms, it's especially applicable to Jesus. So let's look at it through that lens first before we move on to ourselves. From verse 14, because he holds fast to me, and love. That's certainly true of Jesus. In John 15, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. All through his life and ministry, Jesus was holding fast to the love of the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he spent hours praying for God's will to be done. Jesus was the true man who truly held fast to God the Father. Look at verse 14 again. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Did God deliver Jesus? Well, from our perspective, we might say no. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was beaten, whipped, humiliated. He was crucified, abandoned and alone. He died the death of a criminal. 
he was buried. There was no doubt that Jesus was truly dead. He knew God's name. He cried it out on the cross, My God, my God. Was he protected? Was he delivered? If we were in that situation, I'm sure many of us would say no. We'd probably give up on God, assume all his promises were useless. We'd feel abandoned and rejected. We'd look elsewhere for a solution. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead. God did raise Jesus back to life, just as Jesus had told his disciples he would. Verse 15 tells us, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. God did answer Jesus. He answered Jesus' prayer to glorify him. But he didn't do it by removing Jesus from trouble or by removing the trouble from Jesus. And I think this is a key to understanding some of our hardship in life. If we get this, I think it will actually strengthen our faith. God the Father was with Jesus in trouble. God's presence doesn't mean absence from trouble. It means deliverance through trouble. Rescue through trouble, not rescue away from trouble. Because it's got an ultimate goal. Look at the last few lines there. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Jesus saw the Father's rescue plan unfold. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus was delivered. Delivered from death. He wasn't abandoned. He bore our punishment so that he might be glorified as our Savior. So that we might follow in his footsteps. So that we too might be delivered from death. He was raised to life to show his victory over death. That we might also be satisfied with long life. That we would have eternal life with him. That we would see God's salvation and take part in it. God certainly doesn't promise to end all suffering now. And if we try and twist God's arm and make our life smooth sailing, we'll be disappointed. But if we cling to him as our protection in the storms of life, we won't be disappointed. We have a strong fortress and a strong savior who has paved the way for us. He's demonstrated that God won't abandon us. He went through the cross to show that, to show how far God goes for our rescue. Though we will face hard times in life, we will be rescued. And that passage in Ephesians that we read at the start helps us here. It gives us confidence that God is the one who not only protects, but also provides. He provides the armor against our challenges. So we might have difficulty in our lives. I know we, we will have difficulty in our lives. Some of us much more than others. Uh, maybe that's you this week feeling the struggles of life. I'm sorry to hear uh, if that's the case for you. And yet in some ways, those day-to-day struggles aren't the real battle. 
Now, the real battle that we face, as Paul says, is spiritual. And God, God provides his armor that we might stand against it. Just as we cling to him as our protection, we put on his armor as our protection. And we take up his word of promise as our weapon. The bird trap, the arrows, the terror, the plague and destruction. What's the real danger in these things? The real danger is not that it's hard, not that we can't face them. It's not even that we might die. The real danger is that we might abandon our fortress, that we might leave the safety of our God, run out from under his wings, and perish as the wicked do. That's what Satan wants. That's what Satan tempted Jesus to do, to give up trusting in God, to put down the armor God had provided and to join the other side. So let me encourage you this morning, cling to God. Hold on to him as your protection. Look forward to the deliverance through hardship, to the satisfying life that he offers us through Christ. Uh, Let me pray that we might be a people who cling to our God as our protection. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our fortress, that you are a strong and powerful God who can deliver us from all trouble, that you have provided for us everything we need to live a godly life, and that you give us your word and your spirit to guide our way. Please keep us. Please protect us from Satan's attacks. And we pray that we would keep looking to our Savior. We ask that you might deliver us into everlasting life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.